This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Joe Hosmer was one of a kind. A big handlebarred mustache. An upland bird hunting fanatic and someone who worked tirelessly for hunters and hunting. He laid foundations for hunting and hunters with SCI and SCI Foundation. But most importantly, his legacy is the love he buried in his daughter, who because of him is honoring the hunt through her platforms and actions. Joe Hosmer was one of a kind. A big handlebarred mustache, an upland bird hunting fool, and someone who worked tirelessly behind the scenes for hunters and hunting. My name is Joe Hosmer and I'm a hunter. I'm an outdoorsman and I have been all my life. I grew up on a farm in Vermont we had standard bred racehorses and Springer Spaniel bird dogs. 
I enjoyed about 200 acres of hay fields and woods growing up, which I had free roam of. When I was still in grade school, I would take in my little 410 shotgun during bird season and go out and, and look for rough grouse or what we would call in northern New England partridge. And when I would go out, and I'd go out by myself, when I would go out, my mom or my dad would say, make sure to take a couple of the dogs. And I would take the dogs and we would go and we would wander the, the forest behind the, the farm. And the reason I had to take the dogs was because that was the ultimate in conservation. You certainly didn't want to shoot a bird and lose it and not be able to find it on your own. So I always had to take a dog to make sure that the bird, if I was able to be lucky enough to connect, would be able to retrieve it and get it back to me, which would in turn go to my mom and then go to supper. So that was how I kind of grew up. Horses, dogs, um, just free roam, free range kid in, in Vermont. Um, I often tell the story on some of my speaking tours about the generations that have come since then. Um, I remember it was grade school. Um, I had a 410 bolt action Mossberg shotgun with a poly choke on the end of it. And it was about three quarters of a mile from my house down my dirt driveway, down a dirt road, to where it connected to the paved road where I would get onto my school bus. And in October, I would take my 410 with me, and it would be early in the morning to catch the bus, because we lived quite a ways out. And I would find grouse that had come down to the edge of the dirt road to get gravel. And I would shoot with my, my 410 Sometimes I'd connect, get the grouse, and walk on down, and there was a brook that I would cross. And I had a leather boot lace in my coat, and I would tie the grouse leg to the boot lace, and the other end of the boot lace I would tie to some alders, and I'd put the, the grouse in the brook, the running brook that was, was going under the bridge. I'd go on, get on the bus with my 410 shotgun, I had to give it to the bus driver. He would make sure the bolt was open and it was, it was unloaded. I'd go to school, all the other kids get dropped off. He'd pick me up that night at school, off we'd go back. It was about a half, three quarters an hour bus ride. Get back to the house, or back to the drop off point. He'd give me my 410 and I'd have some 410 cartridges in my pocket, shells and um, go back, collect the grouse, bring it home, clean it up, and we put it in the freezer. Um, so that's just in my generation. And if you can imagine one, two generations that have gone by, a, a kid in grade school getting on a bus with a shotgun, um, I mean, the, the world would implode if that happened today. So it's just an illustration of how quickly things can come when you look back. Um.
I've gone on in my working life and, and I've hunted on all the continents except Antarctica. I've hunted on six continents successfully. I've hunted birds on all continents. I've hunted big game on all continents. Again, except South, um, Antarctica. Um, I've done so successfully and I've done so with, with a mission, with, um, with a quest. Uh, I'm look at myself as, as being an outdoorsman and so I'm involved with all aspects of that middle life. Um, the research on the, on the animals that, that I hunted. My first big quest would have been reindeer. I've circumvented the globe a couple times chasing reindeer and caribou. I, I became passionate about that when I read an article about the different types of reindeer and caribou, which I never realized that there were. So I did one and then I did two and then I did three. And what became of interest to me was the, not so much the animal itself, but the, the natural surroundings that each of them had that was a little different. The, the people that I would hunt with, the, the Inuits, the, the Eskimos, the, in Siberia, it was the, uh, another group of, of people, the indigenous people of, of the Arctic, um, and, and how the same animal essentially was, was hunted in so differently in different parts of the world. And I, I collected all of them after, after fashion, eight subspecies of caribou and it was just a, a real accomplishment to, to me. Africa, I've been to Africa 36 times. I've done it professionally doing telecom work. I've done it for Safari Club International, doing a, a speaking tour and dealing with foreign governments. And I've done it as a hunter. I've enjoyed it all. Um, I've hunted everything that is of, of interest, is of excitement. To, to me to hunt. I've not hunted the big five, but I've hunted Cape Buffalo and, and of the Dangerous Seven, the Hippo, and I've hunted Crocodile. And it's, it's been wonderful and, and I've enjoyed it all. And I've also hunted birds on all of those places. So as time goes on and, and I mature and I've climbed the mountains and I've, I've done everything that I've set out to do, I always come back to following, as I did in, as a young man, hunting birds over dogs. And it, it's social, it's time of year in October that in most countries or most areas, you've got beautiful foliage, hot sun, you're out with friends, you're working with dogs, um, and you're hunting some, some wonderful game which is also a wonderful table fare. And it just makes for a, a real great time to, to be a bird hunter. Joe, you've done these quests. We can specifically talk about the reindeer because you probably were in some extreme environments with some interesting individuals. I'm not so much interested in the reindeer. I'm very much interested in the why. Okay. Why? Why did you, why did you do it? In my caribou quest, as I 
said before, I, I enjoyed the hunting with the natural people of the people of the area. And, and they knew it and, and they could see that I was not the guy who was bellied up to the bar, you know, playing cribbage, uh, you know, every free minute that they had or taking in and having two or three beers. I would take in and wander around outside. And the, the guides would see this and they would ask me if I wanted to see a stone ring where a village once was or for a little settlement was. And, and we would wander around and, and look at those. They would show me where people would be buried. You're, you're on the tundra and you would, you'd see areas where uh, you'd have these stone mounds and, and where it would be overlooking a, a valley or overlooking a, a fjord that would, would come in. And it was, it was all more and more education of the, the peoples and, and how it was significant to them. The Inuits were one of the first people to develop art. And the reason that they developed art was because they didn't have to to hunt and, and gather every day. It was it was cold. They would have a, a hole in the ground, literally, and I've I've seen them, where they would dig into the tundra, and if they were to take a caribou, they would would take it and do their processing of it, and they could put it into their refrigerator, and and this simply was where they kept their meat. So they didn't need to go out the next day. And, and hunt something else to eat for protein that day, they already had it in their refrigerator. So that gave them free time. So it was one of the few peoples that had that ability to develop art, to develop other things, their, their carvings, their, their paintings, which is wonderful because of the fact that they had the free time. The, the different caribou or the, the reindeer, travel different, they eat different. Uh, in Siberia, when we came into a herd, the guides wanted me to shoot the grandfather. You know, this, is, this is the one that, that I needed to get. This was the grandfather. And it was an old, <laughs> well-worn antlers. Um, it was certainly well past prime. It was a really cool, caribou, actually uh, reindeer, Asian reindeer. And I was hunting with a friend who was all about antlers. And that was what he wanted to get. And he got a beautiful <clears throat> reindeer that had, had great number of points and, and a big arc to the, to the antlers, uh, where mine was pretty, pretty sparse. But after the animals were taken, the, the local people were celebrating my caribou over my buddy's caribou because it was the grandfather. This was the one that, was, that they were so happy that, that, that I was able to take, which I have mounted along with all the other caribou from the Perry caribou in the Arctic area down through all the different subspecies. So my, my quest for caribou and reindeer was not so much the, the animal, although that was cool unto itself, but it was more of the environment that they lived in, how they moved, 
how the people interacted with them, what was any animal um, human conflict, which there was minimal, and how they used the caribou with the hide, which is caribou have hollow hair, so it's a wonderful insulator. The, the meat has uh, great protein. It can be eaten raw easily. And it was a, a wonderful experience. Antlers are used for knife handles and buttons and the like. So it was, a, it was truly a great experience, not so much in collecting the eight different subspecies, but collecting the, the knowledge firsthand, hands-on with the, the indigenous people of the Arctic. So there's a, you know, when it comes to perceptions around hunting, everything you've just talked about, antlers and you know, trophies. And those are the things that are naturally associated with you being a hunter. How do you translate, how do you translate the hunting lifestyle to that non-hunter that says, that's what you're doing it for? You know, killing, you, you, you do kill, you are a hunter. But if it was all about killing, you'd be called a killer. Mm -hmm not a hunter. So talk through that a little bit. Okay, that's one of the roads I wanted go to, to go, go down. Okay. I usually refer to myself as an outdoorsman. And as an outdoorsman, I have several elements in that, in that recipe one of which is a hunter. But as an outdoorsman, you know, I'll be up in the mountains in the summertime. Uh, I'll be working a, a flower press growing up um, with my daughter, Brittany would, she and I would travel up through the, the White Mountains and be involved with it on a year-round basis. We would track grouse in the snow on snowshoes. We would see where the animals were eating, where they were bedding, where they were traveling. And it's a huge, huge picture. It's not just a single solitary animal that we're going to go and, and pursue. It's getting to know the environment of that animal and how you can or cannot fit into that environment. And as an outdoorsman, it, it's all inclusive. And hunting is, is just but one sliver of that pie. And to be able to, to, to complete that, that feeling, that, that need for, for being in nature, is is wonderful because you've been able to take it from from a to z and and everything included there are plenty of people out there that are far more successful than i am that i would refer to as collectors and they will go after this type of animal to the next type of animal or the this subspecies to the next subspecies in in their own quest in their own way however as a as an outdoorsman um, with me and, and with my family that I grew up with and my family that, um, that I've had, I've tried to 
let them embrace the big picture of, of everything from, from the track right through to the table fare. And it's been a, it's been a, a good experience for, for all of us. Very, very fulfilling. It's not a matter of checking off a box that, okay, now I've, I've completed this animal or I've done all the goats or I've handled these type things. It's, it's far, far more important than that. And it, it's much more, to me personally, much more satisfying. So Joe, somebody could tell you, you could say that's all good and well, but you don't need to go to that place to kill that animal. Why don't you just go to the place? So how do you defend okay. that? How do you defend okay. not going, just going versus mm -hmm. having to go to kill? Okay. The hunting part is one piece of the pie and the killing part is, is a, a much smaller piece of the pie. One of my best hunts that I did was in Turkey and I was hunting ibex and it was hot. Oh my goodness, it was well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And we traveled in the mountains and, and traveled and, and the two things that I brought home with me in my own, in my own memory was the, one of the opportunity to see young ibex that would go up a pine tree like a barbershop pole. They would, they would circle it up um, to get the most tender boughs on the top of the, of the pine tree and, and watching these for hours. And then on the way back, we, I was unsuccessful. I, I did not um, kill anything, but I heard this hellacious noise. And I couldn't imagine what it was and the guide couldn't, and my interpreter couldn't, we didn't know what it was. So we moved around and we finally saw what I believe was a golden eagle um, come down and have a, a young ibex and nail it um, and, and break its back. And that was the eagle's food. That was what the eagle was going to eat. He was the hunter that day and he was the successful one that made a kill. And we watched this whole saga unfold as this giant bird would, would come down and, and, and hunt and kill and, and capture and, and eat the, the young ibex. I, with rifle in hand, went home empty-handed. Um, but I went home with the satisfaction of, of having hunted ibex, and in my mind, I hunted them successfully. But you still went there. You to went kill. to that place yeah. to kill something. Yeah. So you've said it all. You, you, you're dancing around your answer, which is, you, yes, there is a singular reason why I went to Turkey. Okay. Which was okay. to hunt an ibex. Yeah. But I, that was the reason why I went there. Nobody else would go there, pay the money I paid, to yeah. watch young ibex fro frolic around a mountainside. That, 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 that doesn't jive together. Okay. And I'm purposely yeah. poking here. Yeah, no, 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 that's good. 
On my Ibex hunt in, in Turkey, I went to, to get an Ibex, went to hunt an Ibex. Um, and I wanted to, and as, as I've expressed as an outdoorsman, I, I read and I read and I knew what I was in for and what they ate and so forth. What I wasn't prepared for was the fact that it was so hot that the mature ibex, the large ibex that I was in pursuit of, were held up in, in caves or in areas that would be cool and out of the sun. Um, I was the foolish one that was in the middle of the sun and, and, and baking and, and running up and down the mountains where the mature ibex were laying down and sleeping. And, and I went to get one. I, I went to, to hunt and in order to have hunted, I killed and I would have killed uh, an ibex, a mature ibex to bring back to, to share with the, the local folks in terms of the in terms of the food, but I wanted to get an Ibex to, to bring back, have mounted, and in turn share with, with friends and family, and have that as a, as a memory, the, the trophy afterwards, to have that as a memory, and to be able to take and, and hunt Ibex and, and having, if you will, conquered the, the fact that I was able to outwit, outsmart, uh, an ibex. So you raised Brittany as a hunter. Yes. Why? Um, I should probably say I didn't raise her to be a hunter, but I allowed her to take that hunter's path, should she wish. I raised her as an outdoorsman, and I, I raised her with the big picture of being outdoors, being with nature, understanding it, getting the the full full taste of it and being able to uh, to understand the the process uh, she and, and she alone made the decision to be a hunter when she was younger um, teens i would have to say uh, that her adamant feeling was that she would not ever shoot anything that was bigger than she was that was that was her statement on many occasions. I wanted her to be a sub permittee with me on going and hunt a Maine moose, or be involved with a, a bear hunt, or take and, and get involved with deer hunting. She had no interest in it. She her position was that she wished not to hunt anything that was bigger than she was. As time unfolded and she became more and more knowledgeable and became more and more adept at being a, a hunter and seeing the closure, seeing the full picture that a hunter gets to see by taking game. Um, I'll fast forward to on her 21st birthday, she wanted a Cape Buffalo hunt. Uh, so the idea of shooting anything that was, was bigger than she was certainly went to the sidelines as, as she became older. There's a perception around. Um, there's a perception around us as hunters, vilified whatnot, and Brittany has been the subject of that. Yes. Um, tell, talk to me about. I know this is one of your roads, but talk to me about perceptions. 
In terms of Brittany in pers- particular? You could use her as an example, but in general, you've been in this game a long time. You've been in the SEI game a long time. There's perceptions that you've been fighting for a long time. Um, I feel a hunter is perceived differently by different people, and it depends on their, their exposure to hunting and their understanding of hunting. You have one swing of the pendulum where everybody's hunters and, and their contemporaries that are understand hunting and they understand collecting and tracking and shooting and, and the whole process is well understood. The other swing of the pendulum are those that have no feeling whatsoever for the aptitude, the training, the satisfaction that a true hunter gets. The non-hunter, if you will. I don't think that I would be able to take a non-hunter and convince them to be a hunter any more than a non-hunter would be able to take me and convince me to to become a non-hunter. Take me as a hunter to become a non-hunter. I'll respect a lot of their opinions. If somebody's a, a vegan, then they decide that this is not for them, and, and that's fine. But the area that I address in a lot of my speaking tour is the 80% of the folks that live in the middle that don't hunt, but they don't have an opposition to it. And it's their perception that we as hunters have to make sure is good, that it's not a, a bloodthirsty quest that, that we have to go out and, and kill every animal that, that draws breath or to kill the prime animal of, of every subspecies. The, the fact is, is that they need to understand the, the ins and the outs of being an outdoorsman and why we hunt and when we hunt. And it might not be for them. Um, it could very well be if they have an opportunity that they're, they're willing to, to try hunting, they're willing to try wild game meat, but it's not something that, it, that we're going to force on anybody by being viewed as, as a bloodthirsty lot that's out there shooting everything. In, in, terms, of, in terms of Brittany and the, the recent attack that she's had, um, I have to stand up as a dad first, and, and that is that my original reaction was to protect her that I wanted to protect my girl. That, holy cow, these guys are, are coming after Brittany and, and calling her awful things. And I became very defensive and, and very, very hurt by a lot of it. Um, but Brittany chose the, the high road and, and she's a hunter and she's proud of it. And she's explained why she's proud of it and what we as hunters need to do to turn this around a little bit, to, to focus in on those 80%. 
And, and I'm very, very proud. Again, as a dad, I'm very, very proud of her. Um, the route that she's decided to take, I'm, for most of my adult life, we'll say the last half century, I have prided myself in being an observer and being able to try to sort things out and figure things out by looking at the, the big picture, looking at the forest instead of the trees. And one of the things that I've picked up on as I've matured over the years as a hunter is that some folks will be a natural born musician and they will come into being a, um, they'll listen to a song on a radio, they'll come back, they'll be able to play it on a piano. The two, three days later, they're out there with a saxophone, they're playing the same song, um, and they're just natural with it. And they can have a wonderful ear, they can pick up on music, and they can go on and make a career out of it. And the other side of that coin is you know, little Johnny, whose mom and dad gave him piano lessons when he was four years old, and he's gone through that, and he high school band practice, and geez, maybe even got into Juilliard and became a, a musician through training, training, training. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, and with a very little effort, you can take and listen to the person that's got the natural ability in music and the person who has the trained ability in music and see and feel a real difference in those that have the natural ability. Uh, artists are the same way. I've seen people that can sketch out something. I can't even draw a straight line, but th they can take a look at something and, and sketch it out. And, and it's almost like a photograph. They do such a great job of it. Again, same thing. Someone can be trained as an artist and go through all the classes and go through the process and maybe become an adult and sell a few paintings that are, that are really good. But again, that natural ability comes out and where I'm going with this is that I've seen this with hunters. I've seen people that have come through as a natural hunter, that they are, they know how to follow the track. They, they do it naturally. It comes to them with, with ease. They don't need to be trained on, on every little aspect of it. They tend to have pretty good eye-hand coordination. They tend to shoot fairly well. They tend to take and um, have a, a sense of the outdoors and a sense of the, the quarry that they're after. And, and those folks are, are born with that gift as being a hunter, just like other folks are born with a gift of being a musician, being an artist, being a baseball player that there is a natural talent there. There's trained, there's people that pick it up through evolution, but they'll, they'll never, ever, ever surpass the person that has that natural ability in being an outdoorsman, being a hunter. Why do you think that? Why do you I, think that there's those people? <clears throat> I, I feel this, that there's a natural ability in hunters because I've seen it. I've, I've seen it uh, with 
trackers in, in, in Africa that can just follow the, the slightest little sign. And yes, they've, they've been mentored by their father or by other people in the, in the family, but they have that ability to be able to pick right up on it. And it's just amazing to me that they can can do this. You talk to anyone who has traveled extensively in Africa and they'll talk about the the African trackers that can can do this so well. Uh, and I've seen it here in domestically. Um, I've seen it with bird hunters. I've seen it with big game hunters that someone is a is a natural and it, it's a gift. It, it's a gift just like the the musician or the artist. It comes to them very easily, uh, almost frustratingly so to, to someone who's trying to to learn the instrument or or paint the painting. You know, there's a there's a frustration that you see from those that are are coming up in the in the world to be put up against an, a natural athlete or a natural talent. And, and I would say that hunting and being an outdoors person is the falls in the same category. You can have those that are gifted and, and those that are not. I've, I've hunted with both and, and I can say for sure that people have a gift of being a natural hunter. Okay, you, you still haven't told me why. I want you to tell me why. Why is that person so gifted? Why? The, the person with the natural ability is, is born that way. They, they, come in, they come into this world with this, this gift and it's up to them to find it and make it evolve into being part of them. Uh, this is something that they need to exploit from within themselves that they are or they are not gifted in a particular area. Tell me, you know, to me, uh, to me, this gift is almost, it's in your blood. Correct. It's tied with your DNA. Yes. It's tied with heritage. Yes. It's tied with essentially our ancestors, our hunter-gatherer ancestors, that mm -hmm. they were hunters. And there were good hunters in tribes. Not everyone were good hunters. Mm -hmm. And so, tell, couch it in that why there's gifted hunters because you know hunting is part of who we are. Okay, that's okay. part of yep. who we are as humans. It's in our DNA. It's in our blood. It's in our bloodline. Okay. Any gift that we are given when we come into this world is part of our, part of our being, part of our DNA, part of our heritage, part of something that we've gotten from our grandfathers from our family as, as we've evolved into being who we are. We, in, in my case, I'm the, I'm the product of a trapper and a cowboy. Uh, my, my mom's family all came from Texas. Uh, my grandfather was a, a cowboy, was a cowhand, ranch hand, and over time became a, a land surveyor and traveled up to northern New England and, and worked as a, a draftsman in the, the 30s and, and 40s. 
my grandfather on my dad's side was a timber cruiser where he would go through the the woods and establish how much wood was was in there for the mills and for the lumber yards and he ran a, a huge trap line and was a, a huge hunter was was very adept at it my dad was as well he had a trap line and when he was growing up and he was a hunter primarily white-tailed deer hunter uh, all of his life that i can recall all of his hunting life at least so uh, i've i have come from those genes i've come from that and and i feel that i have a gift and that gift is as an outdoorsman as a hunter and i see other folks that 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 understand and, and we can look at each other and just kind of grin and, and know that, that we've got it where someone else who's struggling out there perhaps does not. And, and it comes from centuries, centuries of being hunters. From, from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. How I was brought up, how I've brought up Brittany how we've, we've evolved into to being who we are. And, and this is part of us. This is, this is our DNA. Um, I think National Geographic did a study about a wanderlust gene that certain people had. But um, I, I'm convinced that hunters have a, a gene under themselves where they, they have become hunters because of so many years of, of hunting and and you've got gatherers god knows my wife is of the of the gathering tribe um she she hunts but it's not a natural ability to for her it's it's a trained ability and she will hunt just certain things and and enjoys it uh, it's not a passion for her as it is for for myself or for my daughter Brittany. And, and that's fine. And, and we, we go forward and, and we'll see what Brittany's son um, decides to do as, as he becomes older. Is he going to be a hunter or is he going to be a gatherer? And God bless him either way. But I'm just simply stating that through observation and that generation upon generation upon generation of hunters will continue to produce hunters. When I started uh, this segment, I talked about growing up um, on a farm in Vermont, and we had bird dogs, Springer Spaniel bird dogs, and we had standard bred racehorses. And I can can say this more from the horse side of things is that we would check the bloodlines of those horses way, way back. And you could pretty well tell that uh, chances are very good uh, with the, the bloodlines, with the heritage, with the DNA, if you were going to get a good racehorse or if you're going to get a mediocre racehorse. And typically how a horse was thrown, uh, how it was, was born and, and trained was, was great, but a natural racehorse was, it was in its DNA. And, and it became a science with racehorses to be able to, to track that and follow it. Um, you do the same thing with, with good bird dogs. Typically a good bird dog will throw good bird dog puppies. Um, and I just personally am not as, as expertise on, on the dog side of the world as I was the racehorse side of the world growing up. 
but it's heritage. It's, it's in the DNA. My name is Joe Hosmer. I'm a hunter. I'm a dad. I'm an outdoorsman. Everyone has their own story. This is mine. It's in the blood. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.